Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. All right, hey guys, this is class seven and it's session three. We are still talking about vision problems and we've been looking at the different causes. Um, you remember we talked about refraction errors and the different um, common ones that, that are very common in children and in adults are the myopia, which is nearsightedness, and hyperopia, which is the farsightedness. All right, remember we talked about the shape of the eye. All right, so what we're seeing here with the um, version A, this is myopia. It's not real severe um, myopia because that thing is, that little pansy is pretty close to the retina. It's not on the retina, but it's pretty close. Um, and it's fallen short, but you can see that it's not quite touching it. Now, if you could have an eye that is even longer than this, and that pansy could fall, you know, maybe half an inch more to the left. Um, the more severe the nearsightedness, usually the longer your eye is going to be. Um, if you go look at B, you'll see that here the eye is a little bit shorter. It's a little bit higher up in the middle and then kind of pulls in. And the little pansy is actually falling behind the retina, not actually a whole lot, but a little bit behind it. And it is going to cause us then to have more issues seeing far off and not up close. So it really, while well, this is just how the eye actually was designed, and some of this is going to be genetic, as you're going to see. All right, well, um, that popped up all at once. So again, things that cause, um, that are causes that just mainly affect children that, again, we'll see these in the schools. There's a lot of prenatal causes. Um, a lot of those are due to heredity. And um, if the mom or dad or both have really severe visual impairments, then the child is likely um, to have those as well. Um, I've actually taught a number of students who have visual impairments or are considered blind. And, and one of the guys um, that I taught met his wife at the School for the Blind, and they both had really severe issues and they had four children three of whom had severe problems as well two of them had to have corneal transplants um at really young ages and they still even that they still had to wear um, glasses and they still had to have a lot of help he had one though he was was a sighted child and he called her his future driver um because they were constantly having to use cabs or um, the buses, when the buses would run, and he's like, as soon as she's like old enough to drive, we're buying her car, and she's taking us everywhere we want to go. Um, so a lot of that, again, is heredity, and you know, but whether you're nearsighted or not, a lot of times that's heredity too. All right, the retinitis pigmentosa is the tunnel vision where you're seeing um, a really narrow visual field. Um, you've lost a good bit of that peripheral vision. And you know, sometimes going with that's what we call the night blindness. They're folks that really see pretty well to drive in the daytime, but at night when it's dark, um, they don't have as many cues and they really have struggles with that. Um, some folks just don't like to drive at night. They don't necessarily have retinitis pigmentosa though. Um, but that's a tough one if you do. 
right? A cortical visual impairment is actually more in the brain where the, the cortex of, uh, of your cerebral cortex of your brain is. is and um, sometimes that's a tumor. Um, your occipital lobe is in the back of your head. Um, and so kind of opposite where your eyes would be. And a lot of times we might have some kind of problem there and it may be very severe and it may be minor, but usually the there the eyes work okay. All right, for preterm babies, um, there are some issues that, that oftentimes do occur. Um, the biggest one that we really do see is ROP, which I mentioned earlier, it's retinopathy of prematurity. Um, we're seeing more of this than we used to. And the reason is simply because we have more preterm babies that we're able to keep alive today. We've got great neonatal care now and babies that are as small as one and a half to two pounds, um, at birth can be kept alive. Whereas years ago, that was just an impossibility. We couldn't keep them alive if they were under about three and a half, four pounds. Um, so we, we put them, you know, in the little incubators and we give them all that oxygen. And this is just a side effect of the o uh, oxygen. So we do see a good bit of this. Um, sometimes we'll see causes due to the muscles of the eye. Right? And you'll see strabismus, um, which is where you've got your eyes that actually frequently cross. One of them may be called a lazy eye, and they may patch that um, stronger eye and make the other eye work. And nystagmus uh, is when you've got the um, tremors um, that come in your eye, and they just sort of shake a lot. And there are some um, exercises that you can do for these. There are muscles that hold... Um, your people in place and your you know adjust that opening there and so you can do some exercises to help this um, it doesn't always cure it but it can make it better all right so we do identify in different times because obviously there's different times when people begin to have vision problems so one way is at birth and there are oftentimes if certainly if mom or dad have problems we're at least looking for it um, but within the first few months or year, babies don't do a whole lot in the beginning, but their eyes are busy and they do look around at things. And, you know, we, we encourage that we hang mobiles up for them to look at and we buy, you know, little picture books for them to see. Um, and, you know, they're going to track you with their eyes. They're going to, you'll see them following you with their eyes. And so if they're not doing those things, we can usually catch that pretty early on. Um, we usually do do a screening at the beginning of school, um, kindergarten now. We, we try to check and make sure that all the children are able to see fairly well. And then if there is a trauma, you've had an injury um, where your eye was damaged, certainly they would do a screening for that. But children should have at least some check of the eye at the latest by the time that they're five. The professionals would be, um, ophthalmologist is a medically trained doctor, goes to med school and then specializes in um, problems with the eye. And the optometrist has just been trained in eyes only. Um, they're fine as long as there's no severe problem, but if you do need surgery or you might need a prescription, you really would wanna go with the ophthalmologist. And for these uh, individuals, that's probably your better option. 
Um, and if you have one of those, they're going to have to send you information as well. So when you're doing the evaluation, we're going to check to see how well they're doing academically. There are a lot of kids who have visual impairments who just breeze through school just fine. Um, they don't ever need really any additional help at all. But if they do, we need to make sure that we're going to be able to get them at their best academically. All right, again, we, we need to focus on what kind of media are they able to use um, in order to be literate and also in order to, to learn. And so, um, again, it might be you give them an iPad, you know, to work on today. Um, how well do they communicate verbally? If there's no issues there, that's going to make life a lot easier, and they can actually let us know how well they're doing. Um, what kind of social skills will they have? Um, this may surprise you. Some of these kids actually are going to look different than they are. Um, one of the guys I taught who, who came here to Bellhaven, um, he was the most extroverted guy you would ever know. Just an absolute joy to be around. He was so fun. But he always was by himself a lot of the times in the cafeteria. And I would, you know, go up and say, why are you sitting here by yourself? Um, because he loved people and folks loved him. And he would say, well, you know, uh, even though I am outgoing, I am not going to walk up to a table of folks I don't know and sit down. Because uh, even I can't do that. And he said, so if people don't call me when I walk into the room and say, hey, we're over here. I don't know where they are because I, you know, I, I don't have supersonic hearing. I can't smell them. I just go sit down. I can tell the table's empty and I'll sit there. And, you know, so that makes it kind of tough. It's an isolating type of a disability um, and others need to make kind of an effort to include um, those who are visually impaired. Of course, they can't drive to meet you somewhere and somebody's going to have to come pick them up. So there are some, some issues there that are a concern. Um, this is a big issue too. Um, we communicate a lot through nonverbal means. Um, we nod at somebody, smile at them. We might roll our eyes if we're unhappy with them, cross our arms to show we're, um, we're displeased. And if they're extremely visually impaired, they're not going to pick any of that up. Um, they don't see it and they don't know that you're doing it. And so you're trying to send these messages sort of subtly and they're just not going to get them. Um, you have to be really able to communicate verbally um, for this individual. All right. One thing we really do have to look at is orientation and mobility. Um, this is the only exceptionality that really needs this, but we want people to be able to be independent. Um, for years, we didn't push this. We, we had dependent folks who were visually impaired, and they would have to sit and wait for somebody to come get them and, you know, lead them um, to wherever they wanted to go. Um, today, with the GPS, we've got people who have dogs who can help them get around. We have the folks who use the cane. Um, most folks are able to orientate where they are kind of know you know i'm facing north um and be mobile on their own you know, obviously that's not driving but you know on their feet and then to teach independent living skills see how well they're doing there um, we may have to focus a good bit on this um, there's a lot of incidental learning that most children pick up that we won't see here um, so you know normally like if you're dressing your child and you know they're little then one day you get pick up the sock, they stick their foot up, and you know they see the sock and they know what that means. Well, this kid ain't going to pick a lot of that up. And so they don't see you load the dishwasher. They don't see you fold the towels. They don't see you, um, you know, doing the 
standard things in the home. And these are skills that we're going to have to teach you. How do you do laundry if you can't see? And how do you cook a meal? And those are, can be done. We just have to teach the ways um, for the individual to do it. Obviously, we're going to need to work some vocational skills as they get older. Um, a lot of these folks are quite bright. Um, every student I've taught um, at LSU or here um, have gone on to grad school and have done really great things. But, um, you know, you, it's just tougher because there's some things that you really can't do if you can't see. And so that we really have to uh, make sure that they don't get uh, underemployed, which happens a lot with people who are visually impaired. All right, so let's look a little bit at signs of eye trouble. Um, have y'all doing some of this, I think, on your assignments? I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but you can look at an eye. Now, this is a, a kid. We're looking here at kids who are not caught at birth. They're not having such a congenital problem that we're going to say right away they're blind, but they don't see well. Um, we may have slid by, and the teachers, the coaches, the social workers, the psychologists, somebody working with these kids going to probably have to tell their parents that something's wrong. And um, I was one of those kids. My mom and dad didn't spot me. My teacher actually told my parents when I was in third grade um, that I couldn't see because I would walk up to the board and they just thought I was an adorable little klutz because I walked into stuff because um, I couldn't see. All right, so you're looking at the eye and the appearance of the eye. All right, and so, you know, you, sometimes you can look at the eye and tell. Um, you know, maybe they're crossed and that isn't really a good sign. All right, maybe one eye is higher than the other. All right, they should move very smoothly in directions of others. And there are other things with the appearance. All right, behaviors. I mentioned that I was klutz. I tripped over my feet. I tripped over the steps. I fell up and down them. I knocked into the doors. Um, they always just thought it was adorable. Um, I couldn't see, and I, so I really missed a lot of things, and that was indicated in my behavior. All right, but other behaviors might be rubbing the eye because the eye bothered you right because it was itching maybe all right sometimes you'll have a child who complains and they tell you you know my eyes are dry or you know my head's hurting and that would be because they couldn't see so anything like that um and i'm gonna let y'all come up with others um those are signs that something's not quite right within the eye and maybe we need to check and see what's going on